This week, Mission to the Unknown and the Daleks' Master Plan. The BBC summary of Mission to the Unknown, the Daleks are plotting bad things. Their summary of the Daleks' Master Plan, the Daleks plan to use the Time Destructor to conquer the universe. Seven hours of Doctor Who summarized in two sentences. You're listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. We're a husband and wife team who just can't stop talking about all things Doctor Who. We're nerdy, opinionated, critical, sex positive, LGBTQIEP plus friendly, and generally not fans of the Moffat era. Warning, naughty language, spoilers, and other adult content may be found within. I was hoping you would say something. Oh, you want me to say something? I was trying to stay quiet because usually that's where you want me to stay quiet and I can't help but talk. I found that it kind of helps for our intros to kind of, I do that, and then you listen to me say that, and then you say something funny at the beginning of the episode, before I say something like, welcome to episode 33 of (laughs) Oi Spaceman, an Doctor Who love story. (laughs) You would know that if you had listened to our most recent episodes. I'm a bad fan of myself. Yes, two sentences. All right, so today we're anyway. going to be taking a look at, uh, pardon me, today we are doing episode 33 of Oi Spaceman Doctor Love Story, and we are going to be talking about uh, the kind of first Doctor Dalek epic, the longest, arguably the longest, some people would say Trial of a Time Lord is longer, but it kind of depends on how you count, the longest mm-hmm. single story in Doctor Who history. Um, we are doing the Dalek's Master mm-hmm. Plan with its prequel, Mission to the Unknown. Um, we are also recording this on Christmas Day, so Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Put your paper crowns and crackers out. You know, because the <laughs> British tradition with the paper crown and the crackers. I have crackers. no idea what you're talking about. Okay, so those of you who know British culture, paper crowns and crackers. Yay. Um, <laughs> we are also uh, recording this. We have, again, this episode will go out after the uh, our discussion of the Christmas episode of Doctor Who. Right. Um, we have not seen that yet, but I have seen people talking about it on Twitter. And yeah. let's just say it sounds like it's going to be quite a turducken of awfulness. Oh, no. Is it a pig turducken or is it just a turducken? I'm not sure. But it, it, turducken of awfulness is kind of the, the term that I'm using to describe it. I don't know what uh, other people are going to use. That's to fair. It. That's fair. All right. I'm excited about that. I don't know about you guys, but actually I'm very excited to talk about this Hartnell episode because the more Hartnell I watch, the more I just adore the goofy old man. And I get really... <laughs> I get really mad when you tell me people don't like him and they think he's grumpy. He is grumpy, but in an eccentric and adorable way, and he is very goofy. And anyway, I'm 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 getting off. Oh no no, you're you're doing fine. I I actually one of the I've become a little bit of an evangelist for the first Doctor. Yes, you Doctor have, which is why I think it's funny that I'm like totally. I don't know if it's you or if it's just the fact that I I genuinely think he's goofy, but I do. I to be fair, I've been showing you some of the best episodes. Um, That's true. But, uh, what's interesting is that Dallas Master Plan actually has um, a very different reputation among people who haven't seen it versus people who have. 
Right. Um, because the people who haven't seen well, nobody's really seen it. So right. um, this is kind of where we talk. We're, we're going to talk about Mission to the Unknown, which is um, unique in Doctor Who history in that it uh, does not have the Doctor or any of his companions in it. It's the only uh, episode of Doctor Who of which that is true. Um, it serves as kind of a prequel to um, Dalek's Master Plan, which is the 12-part epic, mm-hmm. of which, of those 12 parts, exactly three of them still exist. Yes. Um, now, I have both watched through all the reconstructions of the 12-part epic, and I actually listened to the audio version more recently. Um, the audio version is excellent. Um, I'm going to include a link to the Audible page where you can download that for about less than $15. I think it's like $13 or something like that. Um, absolutely worth um, the money. I finished the 12 parts and almost started it again just because I liked it so much. Wow. Um, this is uh, actually... I mean, I get that. Like, so we're, we're going to be talking about it, um, and we have discussed that this may end up being um, a two-parter for us because there is really a lot going on in this story, right. and it's very well written. That was the cat. <laughs> that was the cat. Say hello, Zoe. Uh, and now they will all picture a cat in a cat suit. It's black and glittery. We're not there yet. We'll not be there, there yet. In a couple weeks. Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> what was I even saying? It's something about how uh, Mission to the Unknown and oh, it's really well written, and you have all these story arcs, and you've said people who haven't watched it seem to think it's it's just a big well, waste of time. There's, there's a there's a the, the kind of received fan wisdom on this one, um, which we've talked a lot about received fan wisdom. Now, first of all, I did not show you all of Dalek's master plan. I showed you the there's an animated version of uh, mm-hmm. Mission to the Unknown that seems to be fan made. Um, I really said when we first started this podcast, we wouldn't do any episodes that we couldn't like buy. Like yeah. we would have we would either buy it or rent it or watch it on TV mm-hmm. or some legal way. Um, I own I purchased the audio of Dalek's master plan, which mm-hmm. includes mission to the unknown so i don't feel bad about like but the version that i showed you um Mm -hmm. there are some kind of illicit versions reconstructions and stuff Mm -hmm. on uh youtube and daily motion Mm -hmm. that's the version i showed you and we didn't show you all of it i only showed you i showed you the animation of mission to the unknown Mm -hmm. and you did the three surviving episodes episode two episode five and episode ten Mm -hmm. we watched a little bit of episode six and Mm -hmm. we watched all of episode 12 yeah um because it was it was fucking killer, man. Yeah, the the, the reconstruction of episode twelve, which uh, the reconstructions on this are sometimes, you know, they're a little iffy. There's, um, I mean, I think I have finally, it, it, and I'm gonna admit, it took me a long time, but I have finally gotten used to the pacing, and I can, I can focus enough on the substance of the story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm, I'm watching them i really am i'm listening to them i i close my eyes sometimes I, and daniel feel... so daniel has to be like hey wait look some because it'll say so, what's happening on the screen like mm-hmm. uh and then they do this i think that i mean it is sort of one of those truisms um this one uh, all 12 parts i believe were directed by douglas camfield who mm-hmm. is an excellent who director and you really see how good really, he was yeah some in really interesting choices um We'll get into some of the, like, why people don't like it, kind of, as we discuss the story. Um, Mm -hmm. Partly, I think it's because so little of it, um, part two, or part, uh, yeah, part two was only discovered in Mm -hmm. 2004. Right. So, um, for a long time, there were really only two parts of this that were available to watch. Right. Um, And people just had bad memories of it. Um, Because episode five is all about uh, mice and uh, teleportation. And episode 10 is kind of all about uh, the meddling monk doing crazy things in ancient Egypt. So people... Which, okay, let me say this. One, the mice stuff was interesting. 
It was like actually like, hey, let's talk about like another species having a scientific process. Oh, God forbid. You know, they're mm-hmm. like, anyway. Well, those are supposed to be humans, but. You know what I mean. Like, uh, at another time, mm-hmm. it, it it goes back to the scientific process. I like those moments. Sure. No, I, I like because I think it's relatable to anybody who's had like a basic science class. Absolutely. Um, so we've talked about this a little bit. Um, the the meddling monk. The meddling monk. Um, we did. We talked about the time. Uh, the time meddler. Uh, right. A couple weeks ago. A few weeks ago. Now, as this will be aired. Yeah. Um, but we talked about that one a little while ago. That's the kind of the first time the meddling monk was introduced. He's really brought back here just to give, um, just to give the doctor a piece of his equipment so the doctor can actually control his TARDIS very yeah. briefly in this story so he can yeah. go where he needs to go to yeah. get the plot to work. And they bring the monk on for two episodes just to do that, essentially. Well, so... Um, but he does all yes. the you know? it Is the meddling monk a plot device? Yes. But I'm fine with that because he's funny. Oh, he's very And funny. I really... Um, I, I said earlier, to me, the doctor versus... Um, the meddling monk feels a bit more like a Batman and Joker dynamic, whereas I guess the Doctor and the Master is more like Superman oh, and Lex Luthor. That's more of a Holmes Moriarty is kind of how they... Holmes how they Moriarty, happen, you know? fine. But yeah... We're going to actually get to meet the Roger Delgado Master pretty soon. Oh, gee. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I am. I, I, I mean, I said that kind of cheesy, but I legit, legitimately am looking forward to that. My favorite thing about the last sentence you did is you kind of said Batman and the Joker in this way to where, like, people aren't going to know what you're talking about. Like, you're like, the, the Joker, like a oh. pause, and then, like, Batman. Like, oh, oh yes, that uh, that obscure character from, you know, um, I, felt, I thought that was weird. My wife is staring back. <sighs> okay, well, do, do I do I need to explain it in more depth? Is that what you're saying? I think Daniel? I think you should go into detail about who this the Batman character is. Oh, Jesus and, Christ! So anyway, no, the monk and the doctor are sort of like the Joker and Batman. Yes, I like that to some degree. Not to compare. I mean, if you're one of the geeks who looks at all the memes, like Batman is the somewhat chaotic good. Mm-hmm. And the Joker is the chaotic evil. Right. Um, and I like that dynamic because it's a little unpredictable and they have something in common. Um, they're both meddling, but right. one thinks they're right and the other thinks, you know, they're right. I think that the dynamic between, I think we'll get into that here shortly, yeah. kind of the, the specific dynamic. But I do really like the monk as a character. Yeah. Um, and I said in our discussion of the Time Meddler that I think the monk is a character that really should be brought back in this yes. series. Yes, and that's, and that's what I was getting to, is like, one of the things that I like about this story, and that I am totally fine with them having him work as a uh, plot tool, plot device, um, is because that's what recurring characters are. Yeah. I mean, like, River River Song. Like, hello. Mm-hmm. Giant plot device. Oh, yeah. It's a million times I, over. I mean... So, like, if that's your criticism, like, just shush. To say he's a plot device, I mean, he's a plot device. He's brought on to do this particular thing in yeah. the plot. But Characters him, are indeed plot devices. But then they give him other things to do. Yeah. Um, and he's just... Um, anyway, I like that both of these things are kind of what create this really interesting tone and i'm sure that this is why people have bad memories or bad opinion uh kind of feeling towards it is it's very darkly funny oh yeah and um there's quite a bit of satire and then as you said um 
it, it's important to kind of keep in mind when the episodes aired mm-hmm. because it goes over Christmas. Right, and we didn't. Uh, I didn't actually show you episode seven and eight, which episode seven is the Feast of Stephen. Mm-hmm. That one occurs on. I mean, it actually aired on Christmas. Like yeah. that was when it was scheduled to air. It aired on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of deliberately kind of take a little sideline, and mm-hmm. they end up doing a very um, broadly comedic farcical episode where um, essentially the Doctor ends up uh, with his companions in. Oh, on Christmas Day in London, and in essentially a TV, you know, a, a uh, a cop show, you know, like right, in the right. 60s. I forget the name of the show, but um, there was a, essentially they're, they're running into those characters and then um, spend some time in 1930s-ish uh, silent movie era Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, that episode is probably the one episode of Dr. E that definitely does not exist. Like, we'll mm-hmm. never have that episode again. Um, even the audio on that is actually pretty funny. I think it's worth, you know, but it doesn't, yeah. it does feel weird that that's like in the middle of this like very dark Dalek epic. Well, and, you know, so putting it in context, you've had how many weeks of darkly humorous episodes? So for Christmas, you get punchy a little bit, you have some funny Mm -hmm. episodes, and then... um, And then they kind of do a little transition the next week. mm -hmm. Uh, Episode 8 is kind of half very dark and, and, you know, the Daleks, like, torturing people, and then half... You know, kind of, I mean, that's kind of what it is. And then yeah. half the monk shows up, the monk kind of uh, does his monk thing, and then the monk is in episodes 9 and 10, you know, kind of. So for me... Um, we are going to talk about these specific episodes as we... Yeah, but, but... I wanted to get general yeah. thoughts first. And I want to get the big picture, because for me, what is really important in the big picture of this is how well this is written, how well it considers its audience, mm-hmm. how well it considers, like, um, how and when it's being shown, like... <laughs> these are things that we both we, we talk a lot about con- in contemporary who both rtdg and moffat era we talk about the showrunner kind of concept of mm-hmm. how that creates uh kind of more tangible um series arcs and all those kinds of things um this epic kind of feels really ahead of its time in that way to me watching sure. it now um because that's what it's doing is it's trying to balance all these things um and i think it does it really well i i think that i mean arguably if you had seen the whole thing you might because the the plot is very much the shaggy dog we're just kind of following people around there's a lot of people kind of going from one planet to another and lots of yeah kind of, but um, i think what's interesting to me in these episodes and why i i yes if I'd seen the farcical ones at the time, would I be annoyed? Probably. But but if I had been watching it originally on Christmas and wanted a Christmas episode of Doctor Who and that's what I got, um, you know, I'm trying to kind of take that into consideration. Oh, no, no, absolutely. I think what I'm saying is that even the, you know, like parts one through five or whatever, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of... We're basically just running around and we're getting chased by the Daleks, effectively. Um, the the but, plot, yeah. one, if you look at the plot in detail, it falls apart among the slightest bit of, like, That's animation. That's um, And this is kind of what I take from Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this more and more as I've been thinking about this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, is 
the character moments, the character beats. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. being a badass and being funny, you know, mm-hmm. I, I take from it much more the tone and the mm-hmm. ideas that it's trying to put across. Um, mm-hmm. There's also a lot of stuff like if you look at the history of the Daleks as presented in the show mm-hmm. and you look at like people have spent like lifetimes trying to figure out exactly how all these pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dalek history makes no sense. And a lot of people, you know, kind of don't like a lot of these Dalek episodes or, you know, it's like it retcons and it retcons itself again and then it retcons itself again and then it's kind of, um, you know, it kind of, it, it does that whole process and it ends up being, uh, you know, if you're trying to get a mythology out of the show, it's really hard to do that sometimes. You know, um, I think that's fair. I'll, I'll start there. But, um, you know, I forget if we were talking about it in an episode or if I've just been talking about it because I've been meeting new um, Who Nerds lately, which is great. Um we don't, we hope no who nerds listen to the finest. Yeah, no. no. Uh, <laughs> but the Daleks are really one of my favorite enemies or villains. Um, and part of that is because as I watch more of the show, the Daleks are so dynamic. Um, they are essentially any Nazi metaphor you want. Right, and, and here they're also kind of communist metaphors. So. Exactly, and I like that they are that stand-in kind of force in the universe um i'm trying to think of like an example in comics because that's where my mind automatically goes but i mean like you know if you're trying to get like a linear mythology does it make sense no if you're trying to get a tonal mythology um and if you're trying to be like somebody like me who wants who likes doing pop culture critique um the way that the daleks act is very telling about the time period that the episode was shown in. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, and I, I think, think that that's what's so fun. Mavic Chen, we're going to get into. Oh my now. God, Mavic Chen. Anyways, um, so do we want to actually start getting t- talking yeah, yeah, about we're, the we're, episodes? We're roughly 15, 17 minutes in right now. So well, I think we did a good job talking about I, the I big picture stuff. I think we did. I think we're um, patting ourselves on the back right now. Merry Christmas. Oh, Christ! And our cat's gone crazy. Ah, oh, Jesus. Okay. So, I have a page of notes. If I get through half of this, I'm going to be really happy. Woo! Um, so, let's start off, let's talk a little bit about Mission to the Unknown. Um, because that one is sort of one that gets lost. Um, Mission to the Unknown. Alright, so let's start off, let's talk a little bit about just Mission to the Unknown. Um, Mission to the Unknown, this is a really important thing to note, mm-hmm. um, is the very last piece of Doctor Who that Verity Lambert's name appears on. Um, it's the very last thing she produces. And the fact that this kind of happens during this time period, I think, is really important. Um, the other big reason I really wanted to talk about this is because uh, we're kind of focusing in terms of our discussion of Classic Who, in terms of mm-hmm. organizing this kind of series of episodes we're doing. We're looking at the companions, and there are a lot of companions in this. Um, yeah. Hartnell arguably has more companions than any other Doctor, mm-hmm. um, because they were just going through them really fast. Um, and in fact, yeah. in this period, like, so Vicky is there at the beginning um, the story right before Mission of the Unknown, Vicky's there, she's a companion, she's happy, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, right after Mission of the Unknown, in between that, the Mythmakers airs, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting that people like, because that's like a whole, like a War of Troy kind of episode mm-hmm. sort of thing, you know, the, uh, myths and such. Um, and during that episode, Vicky leaves, 
Mm -hmm. They bring on Katarina. Mm -hmm. Katarina, who doesn't even, like, she's very, you know, she's an ancient person who's very ignorant of, um, you know, any kind of technology. She doesn't know what a key is. I mean, at one point, the doctor literally has to explain her what mm -hmm. a key is. Um, she thinks that the TARDIS is a uh, gateway to the gods sort of thing, and mm -hmm. that the doctor is going to take her to the promised land, the afterlife. Oh, jeez. Um, spoiler alert, uh, Katarina dies. Um, yeah. And I'm going to include there that that footage is unfortunately lost, but there is the audio remains, and I'm going to include uh, some of the audio from on the podcast, possibly right here. We'll see if I decide to edit that in later. Um, tragic. It's a very tragic thing, and I did show you that that little piece of uh, the reconstruction there. Um, so Katarina comes on, she dies. This guy Brett Vion, who arguably a companion, arguably not, played by Nicholas Courtney, Proto Brig, who would go on to put. Play the Brig. Proto Brig, um, as I will call him. Okay. Just keep that in mind. The character's name is Brett Vion. Proto Brig. <laughs> I was reading, I've been reading the About Time book, mm -hmm. um, the first volume of which I bought at Chicago Tardis this year, and it mm -hmm. kind of, it's kind of the, the seven-volume set is the, like, definitive look at the classic series in mm -hmm. a lot of people's minds. Um, the first volume covers most of the first Doctor. <laughs> it covers the first three seasons, anyway. And, um... I was reading that entry for Dollar's Master Plan mm -hmm. this morning, um, and they reveal that uh, the original name of that character is going to be Brett Tyrone. Oh my god! Um, so you can only imagine. You know, if like, only, if only you could play a little bit of that Erica Badu song right here. We're not going to play any songs. That's as much as I'm going to reference yeah. it, just in case. Uh, I will include a link in the show notes. <laughs> maybe. Um, so we don't only get him; he gets killed by Sarah Kingdom. <sighs> Sarah Kingdom comes on, and then she's dead at the end of... You missed a very important part of that story. Not only does he get killed by Sarah Kingdom, we then later find out that he was Sarah Kingdom's brother, and that she killed him as part of her orders. From... It's from um, Mavic Chen, who's yes. like the mightiest, awesomest douchebag ever, but like we'll get to him in a bit. Oh yes, we will, definitely. Um, interestingly, another thing that I learned in researching this episode, mm -hmm. uh, Sarah Kingdom was originally supposed to be Brett Vion's lover, not um, his sister. sister. Huh. So they, they kind of wrote that at the last minute. Um, it turns out that this one did have a fairly contentious production history. Really? Um, there was a lot of like they were like Terry Nation was turning in his scripts like really late um, um and uh, a lot of the model shots were literally just kind of based on like sketches and uh there wasn't a lot of dialogue until very late in the game um honestly most of the episodes that you and I watched in preparation mm -hmm. for this uh, podcast were the later ones written by Dennis Spooner where the dialogue has been smoothed out a lot I mean I think if mm -hmm. you watched the first few I wouldn't have liked it as much they're a lot rougher let's just okay. put it that way um, that's fair um so, Sarah Kingdom, and then Sarah Kingdom dies at the end of part 12. Oh my god, does she die. So, we've, we've gotten a, like, complete, like, change of cast in a lot of ways. And Steven is still around. Um, Steven kind of starts the story, and it's the story. Um, he doesn't have much longer. He's going to leave pretty soon, um, That's honestly. That's good. Um, so let's start, let's, dumb. let's start, let's, let's talk about Steven, because, <laughs> you know, I've shown you uh, the time meddler. Um, we recorded an episode about the Time Meddler. You had things to say about Steven. We started watching episode two of Dalek's Master Plan, and I believe you literally it went, oh, who's that guy? <laughs> I don't know what happened, you guys. I legitimately do not know. I have no memory of him in that previous story. I just well, remember Vicky. Despite the fact that you talk 
very much about how much you love Vicky. Mm-hmm. And pretty much all the scenes that have Vicky also have Steven mm-hmm. in the Time Meddler. Yeah, but I think to me, I'm like, oh, he's just the one that says stuff that Vicky responds to. So then, like, when Vicky was gone, I was, like, focusing on him for the first time. And I'm like, oh, wait, he kind of looks like every other dude that's been on Doctor Who in this time period as a companion. They they kind of, unfortunately, end up writing Steven as, as kind of the, the standard, you know, action male lead, you know? Brosif. Um, <laughs> Brosif. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um... Uh, Peter Purvis, who uh, played the character, uh, mm-hmm. was uh, much more interested in being a more dynamic, you know, much more um, interesting I mean, male there character. There is literally, I don't, I don't remember which part this happens in. He gets like stunned, or <laughs> what happens? You, you remember? This is in. This was in the reconstruction of part six. Uh, Stephen is. <laughs> Steven is trying to there's this terranium core thing that they're trying to we're jumping all over the place like we always do I had notes I was organized none of that ever makes any sense no but so we so this he, is definitely going to be an extended episode by the way yeah so Steven sits there see Steven is trying He's to been dazed charge somehow. the fake terranium core yeah he uses uh, there's something about gravity like a technology force or something. field like it's put and around he ends him. up uh, you know motionless. And so on the screen, there's literally this picture of him just staring slack-jawed because it's a reconstruction, and it's like what did it say like. He tries to nod yes, or I I don't know. I thought it was the funniest thing ever, but this is kind of how, like, I think of him as just kind of, oh. Steven sits motionless or something. Yeah, Steven sits motionless, and it's like, yes. Yes, he does. Um, and which is really unfortunate. Steven, like Peter Purvis. Yeah, um, that's no fault of Peter Purvis. Still around. He still does Doctor Who conventions. That's awesome. Um, he's I, a great guy. And like there are other episodes. Stephen is more. Stephen is just less interesting than the other stuff that's been in the episodes yes. I've shown you. Unfortunately. Yes. So um, far, Stephen is adult. Um, but that might change. But, but I think, arguably, he kind of acts as a little bit of a moral center, especially towards the end. Yes. Um, well, and that's the problem of writing. I mean, he's essentially a Pollyanna in some ways. Sure. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, Stephen gets to be the stick in the mud. You know, he gets to be the one that's like, no, we're doing this. And Vicky's like, oh, come on. Yeah. You know, <laughs> of course I mean, I'm going to like so... the, the shit starter more than I'm going to like... How much do you want to, like, do Vicky? Like, I just want to, like, hang out with her and do funny things because she is mischievous. Anyways. Right, so let's move on to... Moving on. Vicky is not in this. So, Vicky is you know, not in this. Um, I missed her. I think her. it's important to note that um, John Wiles, who is the producer um, mm-hmm. at this point, um, who is a new producer, he only sticks around for six months. He's not He's not there for very long. I read, like, some interview... I read an interview with him from 1981 talking about, wow. like, his time on the series. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't think John Wiles is with us. Um, mm-hmm. He died, uh, I think, in that. Um, but, uh... I was most familiar with kind of the era talking about John Wiles from reading Phil Sandifer's blog, where basically Phil Sandifer says John Wiles was kind of anti-reactionary and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, got rid of Maureen O'Brien because Maureen O'Brien was uh, the, the kind of voice of the revolution and the voice of the youth. Oh. And then replaces Vicky with this, you know, subservient girl who doesn't even know what a key is, you know? Yeah. Um, and then kills her. I think that the truth of the matter is that I mean originally the, the, the impression I get is that originally the plan was Vicky was going to die where mm-hmm. Katarina dies 
in uh, the Daleks Master Plan mm-hmm. that um, Maureen O'Brien was kind of unhappy with the script she was given at, at a certain point and was ready to move on and didn't get along with John Wiles um, and basically just they just got a letter go early. Oh, um, okay. That's well, sort of the impression I get. Um, that's fair. And I think Wiles brings a lot of interesting stuff because he definitely, um, his the big thing, the reason he only sticks around for six months, because he wanted the show to get a lot darker. He wanted a lot more stuff, kind of more like this. Oh. Um, his era is very, um, you know, there is a lot of kind of darker elements going on mm-hmm. versus the more um, kid-friendly stuff that was going on, kind of, you know, in the eras on either side of his. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it's, you know, th- there are some kind of conflicting ideas about, like, what John Wiles really wanted to do with the show, you know, kind of his version versus kind of what other people said. Also, kind of Hartnell, um, in The Myth Makers, which is right before The Dallas Master Plan, that era, when they were filming that, was when Hartnell was actually diagnosed with arteriosclerosis. Mm. Um, his kind of increasingly erratic behavior um, was one of the things that eventually led to him leaving the show. I mean, basically mm-hmm. getting shit canned. And I think that, again, this is a very transitional period, and it's really important to talk about mm-hmm. that when we talk about this. But, I mean... I don't know. As someone who doesn't know all that shit, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think you. It, it's obviously a transitional time, um, but I think answering a transitional time by saying let's not focus on exactly how this is happening because you're right. There, there are plot holes and all that kind of stuff, or things that are are a little shaky. But what makes the episodes work is the characters and it doesn't matter how they're doing things it matters why they're doing things at least that's kind of tonally the way that this is presented and so you have a much more kind of philosophical background to it Mm -hmm. so that you have the the daleks and mavic chen are both representing bad guys but they're representing different bad guys and how you can be bad in in um competitive ways <laughs> right. uh you know so there's a lot of depth there um Absolutely. well yeah. um and sometimes that comes from tension so let's kind of talk about different elements from mm-hmm. these different episodes um starting back again with mission to the unknown mm-hmm. um the varga plants um that's kind of the big thing um apparently the daleks have kind of been known in some of the comics and a couple of the stories mm-hmm. they're like they're like carnivorous plants that are kind of uh associated with them in some episodes um, what did you think of the Varga plants and Mission so, to the Unknown? So, the first thing we saw was the animated version. Right, we watched the animated which version. Which the Varga plant drawing, it just weird. Uh, I get it. to that animation, so, Good. because it is kind of the best uh, version that Good. I've seen. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's walking around on root roots that kind of look like claws, and it grows up, and it's kind of like a bush, but I think it doesn't have, like, Weird well, tentacly things. It converts people into versions of itself, and you yeah. know, you kind of see the Varga plants, and they're kind of walking around. They've got spines all over them, and the mm-hmm. way they say they attack you with a spine, yeah. and then you become a Varga plant. Yeah. And so at one point, there's like a shot of like essentially a dude wearing a like Varga sack around him, yeah, and then like feet, <laughs> you know, sticking out of the bottom. Right. Um, even the animated version of that, you know, kind of looked a little chintzy. Yeah. Uh, we did look up like a photo of it. Well, and and my reaction. All of this is to say my reaction to when you say, what did you think about the Varga plants is I looked at the animation. I said, wait, what did that really look like? Right. You showed me a picture of what it really looked like. And I just kind of was quiet for a second. I was like, all right, whatever. You know, like it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's, I will say this. 
classic Doctor Who villain. Just for the sheer, a, like... A classic Doctor Who monster. Monster, yeah. <laughs> yes. Just for the sheer oddness. Maybe the... <laughs> maybe that's what I should cosplay at Chicago TARDIS next year. I'll a, be, a Varga I'll, plant? I'll, a Varga plant. Yeah. And I'll go hang out next to the Daleks. That would be awesome. Writing this in the notes of all the things Shana will say, she is going to cosplay from this TARDIS to the next TARDIS. Yeah, no, absolutely. Anyway. Um, Carrie Nation wrote mm-hmm. um, episodes one through five mm-hmm. and then seven of this. This is the last time Terry Nation is going to write in the black and white era of the show. Mm-hmm. Partly because Terry Nation um, was uh, going off and trying to do a... He did a bunch more TV and different kinds of TV shows. And he was trying to get a Dalek TV show off the ground. Um, kind of consensus is that Mission to the Unknown kind of represents what the Dalek TV show might have looked like. Um, I think it would have been really interesting. Um, Thunderbirds and the other kind of, like, uh, yeah, Jerry totally. Anderson kind of, um, totally puppets, you know, like, uh, it's very, it fits very well into that vein, um, it kind of, like, feels like a filmed play, 1940s science fiction, you know, as yeah. and stuff. I think that would have been really cool to see that version of the Daleks. I, 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 you know, honestly, I think, to, you know, Mission of the Unknown, I actually really like it. Yeah. I, I think it's a really good episode of TV. I wish it still existed so we could actually watch it. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, Terry Nation just didn't know how to write the Doctor and you know like yeah. his dialogue is a little bit wooden and the Doctor should be kind of a fun kind of like less yeah. and character. and I will say though I think that Hartnell does a really good job of using again inflection and facial expression um, even though a lot of this I'm getting from like still shots right? Um, but still I, I think that he is able to make even wooden lines sound just like I'm just this weird old goofy dude, so I'm just gonna say this weirdly, you know, like <laughs> right. this. This I'm saying this because I am an old weird alien dude. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, you will not hear me complain about Hartnell's acting Mm-mm. at all. Um, he's awesome. Hartnell does have a a very. Uh, um, He's known for uh, flubbing his lines. There are a lot of them in the mm-hmm. Dolly's Master Plan. I think it's even more noticeable when you listen to the audio version because all you have is to mm-hmm. listen to it. Um, at one point, he even calls Mavic Chen Magic Chen. Uh. Um, I'm surprised you didn't catch on to that because that was uh, I, I was sitting here when I knew it was going to happen. I was sitting here when it happened, and you didn't uh, blink, so I guess you were just used to it. But um, some well, sometimes I I just <laughs> I have to admit, even though I'm really good imitating accents on occasion um some things just are lost to me that he says them wrong because it's close enough mm-hmm. and there's the accent and i'm just like oh maybe it's just a funny he, accent thing he, he does a lot of um like he'll say the wrong word and then go back and then say the right thing mm-hmm. and that sort of thing and it's really one of those, i think people overstate it i mean yes it's it's i don't think it's that also, noticeable at this point he's a 57 year old man on TV for 42 weeks out of the year. I mean, you know, yeah. like he's working seven days a week, 40-something weeks a year. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm... Not in the best of health. And, and you know, we kind of find out later on that he was in bad health at this time. Mm-hmm. And he was in conflict with all the producers and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and we'll talk but a little bit more about I, I just, having week. said all that, I don't think it shows. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I think <laughs> he is really entertaining. I think he's great. I think it shows... I think it shows, but I don't. I don't really blame. It. I mean, you know, I don't think it distracts from the experience um, as much as people say. Um, on that note, why don't we take a little break and we will come back shortly. The audience will hear us talk in a second, but um, take a couple minutes and uh, get a glass of water or something. Okay. Perfect, Chen. You have failed in your task. Failed? 
Is this my greeting? I agree that my mission was to return to Earth and recover the Terranium. This I have not done. Failure will not be tolerated. But I did notify you of the fugitive's whereabouts. The planet Myra. There, the vital core can be taken from them without suspicion. Their presence on Earth was a constant danger. At any time, they could have contacted forces unsympathetic to our plans. You make your incompetence sound like an achievement. Incompetence now, is it? You forget that the original blunder was not of my doing. I journeyed to and from her to correct a failing your security force should have dealt with. The call was stolen from here. My actions have brought about a situation which will allow you to recover the missing terranium easily and simply. If that is a failure, then I have failed. All right, and we are back. Um, during that uh, little segment, I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, Mavic Chen uh, talking. Uh, Chen had a few quotes she wanted to read. Um, so why don't we uh, kind of start off there, since uh, Dalek's Master Plan is really the story of Mavic Chen and the Daleks uh, kind of facing off against each other. They're so um, Trying to double-cross each other. So uh, can you talk a little... Why don't you read your quotes? So my favorite part about Mavic Chen is you have this dynamic between he and the Daleks where the entire time they are trying to double-cross each other and outthink each other um to acknowledge uh you know the most obvious character trait uh mavic chen is like some weird mix of brown and yellow face there there are some very uncomfortable racial elements here um, um the which, which is un extremely unfortunate because in the first episode of this um, the last one that Verity worked on. They're really cool alien design. I, I highly suggest, even if you don't watch these episodes, just go look up um, pictures because those are the pictures well, that come up. They're they're in not just uh, Mission of the Unknown, but they're in, they are in yeah. the uh, Dolly's Master Plan as well. Yeah, so they're cool. Um, but so then there's Mavic Chen. Um, but what I love about him is he's like president of the Earth. He's essentially like the... The Secretary General of the UN, if the UN was actually a UN, like a world government instead of like an organization where yeah. people chat, you know? Yeah. Like, like he, he is sort of like uh, the head of the Federation in Star Trek or something. He's, yeah. He's meant to be this kind of president of president of the solar system, sort of, you know. And he's got ambitions for greater power. Like mm -hmm. he, let's, let's, one of the things is the uh, writers, <laughs> Terry Nation in particular, seems to have no idea about the difference between a solar system, a galaxy, and a universe. Okay. Well, um, yeah. Um, they're, they're, so, but but Chen has ambitions for greater power. Yes. That's, um, yes. So, and the Dalek, he's working with the Daleks. He's kind of double crossing mm -hmm. his own species to work with the Daleks, so he can get more power. But one of the ways that he double crosses them is by playing dumb at times. I mean, mm -hmm. he's he's actually quite good. Oh yeah. And because it is this era of Daleks, um, you get a much more officious Dalek, a much more like kind of tightly wound they get annoyed at things oh yeah definitely um they overreact sometimes uh they're not just saying exterminate they give each other orders and say i obey you know it's you, you get a you get a very sense of a very clear sense of like personality from the daleks yeah um this is only the fourth dalek story ever um, um and i think it's really cool so most of what i have are just these character moments between 
uh, m- two of them are the Dalek Supreme and Mavic Chen, and then one is just listed on what I had as Red Dalek, um, which, you know, black and white. <laughs> Good. Your guys are brilliant. I don't know how you did Maybe it. Maybe Red Dalek means communist Dalek. Yes, you know, sure. Like Red um, Dawn. You know. But so you have, like, these really silly, witty moments. There's one point where the Dalek Supreme says to Mavic Chen, you make your incompetence sound like an achievement. <laughs> And I was just like, ooh, sassy. <laughs> and then Mavic, and so, okay, this is, this I had to read because it is so classic Dalek. Um, but Mavic Chen is like, I'm surprised that you met his terms so readily. And he's talking about um, working out a situation with the doctor for a meetup. Um, but the Dalek says, one Dalek is capable of exterminating all. <laughs> yes. And I love the, just the pompousness. That's a little bit like the the bit from uh, the Tenth Doctor story, you know, where the Daleks and the Cybermen meet up, and it's yeah. like, you know, we would destroy the Cybermen with one Dalek. Yeah, um, and and I love that episode. Very much that same moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so then, the of of course, clearly, um, the Daleks win at some point and uh, are sending Mavic Chen off to be killed, and so Dalek Supreme says, "Take him away and exterminate him, but do not fire in here. You will damage us and some of the controls." <laughs> I, I love how it's just like, hey, dude, go kill this dude, but not in here because I don't want to get shit ruined. Yeah, it's a little bit mob bossy. It's a little bit like, it's, you know, yeah, and you're going you're gonna to get his blood all over everything. Although it's more like, you know, your your weapons are so powerful, they would destroy all the stuff in the room. Yeah, you know? and I, I love that. And then the response is even better because Mavic Chen at this point has finally gone full on power hungry sociopath and is yelling, you cannot turn against me. I, Mavic Chen, first ruler of the universe, an immortal, which he's not. No. He's, he's not. You know, he does that. There's this kind of thing he does. And, and actually in some of the episodes, like you really see this build where Mavic Chen kind of uh, confronts the other members of this kind of galactic council, you know, this rogues gallery sort mm-hmm. of thing. He starts taking them over. He even uses the Orwell line, some of us are more equal than others, you know. Like, it's a very, yeah. um, you know, he is trying to take over using his kind of political powers and his, and his yeah. ability. And the other members of the Galactic Council thing are against him. And then when he, subs- you know, he subverts them. Yeah. And then he tries to do the same thing to the Daleks. And the Daleks just fucking execute him. Like, like yeah. It's, well, know. and it's so funny. And uh, again, another officious Dalek quote um, just before we move on. Um, Dalek P- Supreme says at one point, pursue and exterminate in safe area. Repeat, in safe area. so like Dalek Supreme a couple times here is just like I don't know I think of him as like the principal of the school (laughs) principal Skinner principal Dalek yeah principal Dalek yeah it's not Dalek Supreme it's principal Dalek and you know the Dalek hooligans um Principal Supreme and the Dalek Hooligans. I love it. Uh, That's another cover band yeah oh my god I want they would do like British punk about football because you know the football weekends I don't know it'd be awesome well there is a football match in uh, episode 8 that we didn't watch oh okay the TARDIS lands sorry this is this is one of the funny bits in episode 8 yeah the TARDIS lands in the middle of the football pitch in the middle of the game or actually it's cricket excuse me it's cricket oh okay the cricket announcers their only response is to go how many times has this happened before in the history of the sport? You know, like, they're literally going and looking up statistics, and the joke is, like, how, like, completely unimaginative cricket announcers are, you know? Um, in fact, uh, 
most people think because this is this mirrors a moment in uh, Douglas Adams' Life, the Universe, and Everything, and most people think that oh. you know, Douglas Adams essentially watched that when he was a kid because he would have been like thirteen when that episode aired, and then just lifted it for oh, that's <laughs> Life, funny. the Universe, and Everything. Anyway, um, anyway, um, so yeah, I think I think one of the reasons that I can see how an epic is worth it is you really have. I think, like, the basis of... I I can see how they were trying to build the Daleks as a spinoff character is essentially what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. Because you really don't need the Doctor and his companions for most of what is really interesting in this episode. This competition between the Daleks and Mavic Chen, between, like, who's going to take over the world, um, and they both lose um to the doctor but so there's a lot of dark humor there and oh yeah definitely because they're fighting with each other which is hilarious but ultimately it's like you know bender on the robot planet in futurama going like kill all humans kill all humans (laughs) like you know no one is necessarily being good here but it's still it's funny well the the political machinations are something that people don't like give enough credit in class oh yeah is that it you know it's it happens quite often that you've kind of got these different factions that are all vying for troll and the doctor kind of has to fight them both yeah um it's a really good plot and he plays them against each other he you know uses uses the fact that they're not getting along to his advantage. And at one point he's got Mavic Chen yeah. doing his crazy, doing his like height of his power thing. Yeah. The Daleks in ancient Egypt and the meddling monk. Like yeah. So there are literally four different opposing forces yeah. battling. I mean, you know, uh, and also the, the funny stuff about the, the Daleks, you know, it really mm-hmm. does show that you can write good Dalek dialogue. You just don't let Terry Nation write it. You let us write it. Um, well, and I... <laughs> I like that, and, you know, because Shayna will work Moffat hate into anything, um, I really like that the Daleks have personality here, that they are characters, that there is a real understanding of the kind of metaphor behind them, instead of just thinking of them as like, oh, they're little tank aliens that kill shit. Um, and I think that that's what the Daleks are now. And I think that that's why people don't like them. Um, well, but I, and argue that's kind of what they become very... I mean, That's pretty, true. Pretty early on in their um, evolution, they kind of... Um, this episode aired at kind of the height of Dalek mania. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Peter Cushion movies were um, kind of in theaters around this time. Mm-hmm. There were literally like Dalek lollipops. I mean, like you could you could buy that's awesome Dalek like breakfast cereal in 1965. Why can't I get and, Dalek breakfast cereal now, Daniel? You probably could buy some off of eBay if I you want you know. it now. That was supposed to be me singing like the Chicken Willy Wonka. Yeah. Um. Anyway, having said all that of that, that was fully a parody, not not a parody. That way, it's oh hilarious. yes, a parody. Total. Anyway, um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm paranoid that some corporation is going to come Somebody. like smack us down at some point. We'll just delete it, dude. It's fine. You put a lot uh, of work into this. I don't want to do that. <sighs> anyway, what were you gonna say? What were we talking about at this point? All right, you, let's let's move you on. Pushed me off topic. Let's move on. Um. So we got we talked a lot about Mavic Chen. Um, I'm just, we're still on episode two. What do you think, of Katarina? Like this is the only episode with moving footage that we have with Katarina. What's your feeling about her? Katarina feels like a classic example of let's introduce the angelic, too precious to live, naive little girl character, and so that we can kill her. 
I mean, yeah. like, and without even seeing much of her, that's still what I get. There's... I mean, you've seen the majority. Yeah. I mean, she's only exactly. in... She appears in five episodes. Right. One of which is a, is the one where she dies. Yeah. Four minutes in. Mm-hmm. One of which is where she's introduced and basically, like, I mean, you, you have seen most of her time on Doctor Who, even only seeing the one episode. And she dies by being questionably of her own volition. Um, sucked out of an airlock and it's a very stark moment and i actually really really appreciate the restraint of a death scene like that mm-hmm. where it just happens and you're like wait shit did that really just happen did they just do that um taking death seriously is one of those things that john wiles said he really won't do with his tenure on doctor who and i think it's true i think i think is. it's i think it's great because you you get this serious sense of consequence, but at the same time, you have that immediacy of they're still in a situation where they need to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you look at this as like, okay, what is the series trying to do right now in terms of like metaphors and tone? And we've already talked about how this is like a huge um, stew of politics and good and evil and shades of gray. Um, I think that part of the reason Katarina is there. Um, even though you've said that perhaps she was meant to still be um, right. another character. There, there are some differing accounts on that. As to whether but whatever. It supposed to be, imagine if it Vicky in that airlock. Still. And, and that's what I was going to say. Especially if, they, especially if it had been Vicky. Because she is so full of life and fresh mm-hmm. and young. And exemplifying youth in a certain way. And rebelliousness. Mm-hmm. Um, although uh, Katarina doesn't have the rebelliousness. It's just that she's like a snowflake. She's clean. Yeah. Um, um, but that is a huge metaphor for a loss of innocence. You know, do you think she intentionally sacrifices herself to save her companions, or do you think that she didn't know what the thing was and pulled it accidentally? You know, based because on... the characters in the episode don't. Yeah, and based on the portrayal, it's it's really hard. Um, but I think it's easy to say yes, she did it on purpose. I tend to like. I think that the moral center of this episode like the, mm-hmm. like the like and i'm actually we're actually going to talk about kind of the, the doctor's moral culpability a bit towards mm-hmm. the end um because this is a really important issue for this mm-hmm. series, i think um i think the only way it makes sense is if katarina did it intentionally mm-hmm. um if katarina made the choice i think that you know by that point she knew which well because it opened the door and which didn't it's steven um, who believes that she did it by choice right or no the doctor believes she did it by choice. The doctor Stephen believes, believes she that she accidentally. accidentally did it. Um, the doctor has spent more time with her, I believe, at this point, at least mm-hmm. conscious. Um, there's also just the issue that um, she has been saying how much she wanted to go to the promise. And I mean, I think Katarina thought she was going. She thought she was going to the after. And apparently, there was either a um, there's some piece of uh, extra fiction. It's either an audio or a novel or a short mm-hmm. story that is Katarina visits the after. It's about like so. Um, I read that on the TARDIS. Uh, page for this episode so well so i mean then it's also introducing like i mean she's a metaphor of of faith and religion then too yeah absolutely of of saying yes i will sacrifice myself for the greater good and you know that is the question we have again and again and again in doctor who um is people sacrificing themselves for the greater good and the fact that that's never the doctor because he can't but well because the narrative constraint of the tv show is that the doctor around right 
but the you know you also then get the impression that the doctor is letting other people do his dying for him. Mm-hmm. So there there is that kind of tension. It's very complicated. Um, what but what I liked most about it actually is it it puts Stephen in a different mindset. Um, I feel like that death puts Stephen in a point where he is more aware of Proto Brig and um. <laughs> Sarah Right, right. He, he, what Kingdom. Sarah Kingdom. Kingdom. Yes. Uh so for Proto Brig and Kingdom, um, their deaths, um, I think he takes them much differently because you have the death of a, a you know, quote unquote innocent mm-hmm. and then you have the death of somebody who was trying to do the right thing and was doing the right thing. You have the death of somebody who was trying to do the right thing and was doing the wrong thing. You know, like, you have all of these... Again, the the morality is constantly in the balance here. And I think one of the reasons that Steven gets kind of boring is he is, he is like, the audience's avatar for all intents and purposes. And so he is meant to just take it all in. Mm-hmm. And he is the one who... um And I don't know if you are ready for me to read the the quote from the last episode but i want to save that for the very end okay um Um, so i'll just reference it and then we'll actually read it later but he's the one that kind of sums up at the end like well what did we get out of all of this he like is not not necessarily the moral authority but the 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 one who continues to question morality absolutely and the morality of the situation yeah i like the i like the idea that you view steven at this moment at least in this kind of mm-hmm. serial as the as the audience avatar because he is the one asked the question you know is this the right thing to do is it to do mm-hmm. um and and um i don't know that i thinking about that kind of puts me in a new direction well and also i think if you look at his interactions with other characters and I think that this, again, why I just kind of find him annoying, and it is he, if we want to talk about characters as plot devices, what he constantly does is go up and poke people. Um, so I'm just going to talk about it because I've been kind of been dancing around Let's it. Let's take another little break here. I'm going to put in the uh, little sequence of uh, Catalina dying and the doctor's response to it, and okay. then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about Stephen, uh-huh. and we will talk about... I um, want to talk about Sarah Kingdom. Yeah, well, because we're going to start talking about episode five when we yeah. get back. So, okay. you know. Sounds good. Um, this will likely be a two-hour podcast episode at this rate, so... Woohoo! Let it go, guys. Now that's more like it! Take him back to Kendall! Take him back to Kendall! Let the Daleks deal with him! Yes, and us! Oh, don't worry, dear boy, we'll find a way out. I can't sacrifice everything for the sake of that one girl. Without us, you wouldn't have gone off Kemble at all, and nothing would be worth bothering about. All right, so we all got it together. But without me, I doubt if you'd have got this far either. That's all right, but I won't let you hurt Katarina. We'll head back for Kemble. As the doctor says, on the way, we may find a way to get her out of there. Katarina pulls free of Kirks and clawing at his face with one hand and reaching for the door controls with the other. There's a stunned silence aboard the spa as the crew try to comprehend what has happened. The airlock is empty. She may have wanted to, dear boy. She wanted to save our lives. Must have been quick. I hope she's reached that place of perfection. Yes, but not that way.
She didn't understand. She couldn't understand. She wanted to save our lives and perhaps the lives of all the other beings of the solar system. I hope she's found her perfection. Oh, I shall always remember her as one of the daughters of the gods. Yes, as one of the daughters of the gods. All right, and we are back from that break. Um, and so we kind of ended on a note talking about Stephen as an avatar for the audience and as kind of a, the 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 more, the giant poker with morality written on the side. Morality is poking at you. Um, and I think really the moment where it stood out to me the most and really had a great character moment where not a lot was said um, is right after... Um, we see, so, Sarah Kingdom on orders from above. So, we're now talking about episode five. Mm-hmm. Um, b- before episode five, the parts that you didn't watch, um, yeah. Maggot Chen essentially um, lies to Sarah. Yes. Sarah, in fact, they they introduce Sarah Kingdom as just Kingdom. Oh, we'll give this job to go get the terranium, yeah. this mineral that, you know, mm-hmm. is the secret to the Time Destroyer. We'll give it to Kingdom, and Kingdom is ruthless, and we'll go, and there's a, a good, good quote about Sarah Kingdom yeah. in that. Um, and then Kingdom shows up, and it turns out to be essentially a character share of the Avengers. You know, it was a huge show yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, they kept trying to bring that kind of character into Doctor Who, and eventually yeah. they did it with Zoe. But yeah. they had to do it here with Sarah Kingdom. Yeah, and so we see... Sarah Kingdom is told a pack of lies about yeah. what's really going on, because Mavic Chen is kind of this Churchill figure. Like, he's seen mm-hmm. as this, like, giant statesman who is, mm-hmm. you know, all good. Uh, turns out he's working with the Daleks, obviously. Um, but um, he essentially orders Sarah Kingman to go and get the training back and do whatever she has to do to do it. And then what And happens? in progress, she kills Proto-Brig. Brent Vine. At the end of episode four. At the end of episode four. So then we have this moment. And just literally, I mean, you, you didn't get to see it, but I mean, it's almost literally she walks into a room and she's like, it's not, there's no discussion. There's no, it's just. So we can see that she's a little bit out of sorts. She meets the doctor and um, Stephen and Stephen, they essentially tell her she's been told a bunch of bullshit and that she just killed somebody who was working with them. Um, and like, doesn't she understand how important that is? And Steven's really the one who's kind of on the attack of like, you just killed my buddy. He was working with me. He was supporting the good. Mm-hmm. And she just looks at him exasperated. And you don't really, again, there hasn't been discussion about it. It kind of comes out of nowhere. And she just looks and she's like, yeah, I know he was my brother. And you see Steven react and you see the doctor react and they kind of move on. There's not really a lot said about it. And that moment to me was like the epitome of like awesomely fucked up mm-hmm. of how often we are shown battle situations in Doctor Who and there is no death and we don't see the consequences of war. We don't see like people who have lost loved ones and we get to see that here and it motivates her and she Kingdom is a badass. Um, she gets kind of emotional at times, but like, she just fucking killed her brother for a bullshit reason. So like, I think that's fair. And she joins, I mean, she essentially joins forces with the doctor against this, 
regime. Um, yeah. An interesting point that we could make about the kind of world building here is mm-hmm. that, I mean, this is a society that, you know, is kind of ruled by this guy who is obviously being very secretive about what he's doing mm-hmm. and working with the Daleks. This is a society in which, which literally has police. I mean, every police you see in this, in this future society, has the ability to just barge in and do whatever they want. Like, mm-hmm. this is a police state. Yeah. Um, in about time, they kind of bring up the point that this is normally the kind of regime that you would see the Doctor fighting against, not fighting to mm-hmm. help. Again, but the Daleks are just that bad. Um, yeah. And I do think that there is, um, you know, if we are going to intellectualize a bit, yeah. I, I do think that there is this element of, um, you know... <laughs> the good totalitarian well, state well, versus the bad? Well, being in the middle of these, you know, not making the perfect be the enemy of the good sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Or um, the decision of, like, you know, like we allied with Stalin and uh, fighting the Nazis and saying, well, Stalin maybe wasn't as bad. Maybe he was. And what, you know, yeah. you know, what what if we had fought Stalin? What if we'd fought with the Nazis against Stalin? Would, would the Cold War have been like, you know? Um... <sighs> Yeah. And this was this was very much I mean in the mid 60s when this originally aired this was like the, the center of that. And um arguably yeah, I mean, they Mao Chen kind of represents the Chinese communists mm-hmm. and the Daleks kind of represent the, the Russians in this, you know, metaphor. Yeah. So um anyway, I just thought that was an interesting Well, you know, and I think like that th- this is how pop culture works is it responds to culture. And you can have a darkly humorous, still kid-friendly, even though, like, you know, a slightly older kid. A whole bunch of this is not very kid-friendly, you know. You know, it'd have to be an older kid that could, like, suffer through some stuff, but still relative. It's like (laughs) PG-13. Right, yeah. It's... That whenever anybody says Doctor Who is a family is a, is a kid show, I say mm-hmm. it's a family show. It is meant to have ideas. It is meant to yes. talk about things. It is meant to be something that adults can sit and watch and enjoy and get a lot out of, but is not going to alienate the children in the audience. Well, and I think um, and the person one thing, Pixar. yeah, one you thing know. we haven't talked about is the Invisible Monsters. Uh, yeah, that's in episode five, so and we should talk about the and, two minute. I think it was fight scene between the Daleks and the Invisible Mar- Monsters. There's one thing from episode two that I forgot to mention that I think fits in very well here. What? Dalek flamethrowers. Oh my god! How did... How have we not mentioned Dalek flamethrowers? Can we, like, pause and, like, mourn the loss of the Dalek flamethrower? Because, like, that should still exist. And, yeah. You, you do have footage of it in episode two. And what's funny was we were watching it and you had kind of gotten on your phone... And I just poked you, and I went, "Hey, you should be watching right now." And you're like, "What? What's gonna happen?" And I you know, just, and then Dalek flamethrowers. And I mean, this is the what did you say? Sixties? Like 65. these are real flamethrowers. No, this is this is a real like little, like you, know, you can see this is actual fire. This is not CGI. Which like I and, and I mean you know, I will is... argue it, it does make a difference when it's fire. Um, just the look of it, the look of and especially. Daleks with a tood, because that's what these Daleks are. Daleks with a tood, make it sound like 90s Ninja Turtle. Yeah. Daleks Ninja. with a tood. Daleks with a tood, dude. Yeah. And flamethrowers. Oh, yeah. Like. And they're, they're literally at this point, I mean, this is going kind of going back to episode yeah. two, but at that point, they're burning the forest down to find the Doctor and his companions. Yeah. Like, that's the reason that they're, this is, they call it Operation Inferno. Like, yeah. That's what that's, that's what's yeah. happening in that moment. Yeah. And, um,. You know, that's never happened in, in history. I mean, 
you want to talk like Japanese in World War Two? Yeah, you know, burning down. I mean, you know, like yeah, uh, they're they're, so, they're like, bringing they're... in very overt like historical references. And I think that so invisible invisible aliens uh, fighting Daleks. Even though you have two minutes of Daleks literally rolling around and like aiming fire at bushes that are moving, and then like rawr, 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 noise. Uh, it's essentially some like rip like sitting there like shaking branches and yeah then, like... and i mean it looks like someone is shaking the branches it does not look like there's an invisible monster um except for like one part we were watching but that was an animation so <laughs> like yeah uh so like you have those moments where i feel like it it kind of dilutes the serious Mm-hmm. Like, if the series got scary, well, here you have two minutes of just mindless action. Episode 5 is also kind of the, the funniest part that we watched. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it, it definitely is a little bit of a change in tone. You get the mice, you know, oh, yeah. the, the uh, scientists who are doing the, uh, what do they call it, cellular disintegration, I think they call it. Yeah. Cellular dissemination, maybe. Um. So you get the mice. Because it's a tran- the... transportation thing. Right. And this is, and again, the whole reason this is even in the episode is because the doctor can't control his TARDIS and they need a way of getting him from point A to point B, like, reliably. Yeah. Uh, um, um, but, like, and then I, I like, it's, a, it's like a little side story. Oh, it, it very and, much is. If you're watching this 25 minutes a week, yeah. this is, like, the funny, this is, like, oh, and this is just part of Doctor Who. Like, yeah. It, 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 I like it. I think the little, I mean, they're almost, like, akin to one-offs, um, no one watching this yeah. in 1965 yeah. watched episode 5 and said, this is the Daleks Master Plan episode 5. They called it, oh, it's the new episode of Doctor Who called Counterplot. Yeah. You know, like, so... Exactly. Um, And I think it's funny. And I think, again, I... And I've said this in other episodes of our show about other episodes of Doctor Who. Um, I not only like the political discussion, I love when they have the the way science is represented within this po- like political situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so having those scientists there is kind of like Again, world building, understanding what's important to these characters. What experiments are they doing? Why are they doing them? Um, so for so for any, I, I guess I'm defending it without saying it. Like if someone wanted to call this filler, I get it. But at the same time, I think if you're going to have a filler episode, this is a good way to do it. Sure. And if you're going to like, okay, we got a little, I mean, at the end of episode four, mm-hmm. Sarah kills Brett, you know? Yeah. The beginning of episode five, we have to kind of bring Sarah into the team. We have to tell, you know, and so lightening the mood a bit with like. Yeah. Mice and, and like jokes. I said, the episode, does it end with her saying it? it I killed my brother or does it start? No, no, no. It's, uh, she kills Brett at the beginning and then like kind of halfway through, she kind of reveals. So there you go. Like it's halfway of, through this, moment. yeah. Halfway through this episode, we get a very serious moment. Mm-hmm. So to balance that out, it's a lighter episode. Yep. I get that. Um, and uh, very well acted, I think. I mean, Gene yeah. Marsh, obviously. Um, Gene Marsh also uh, was married to one of the doctors. I think yes. I gave this link. Yeah, um, you said Pertwee, right? In the, I think in the mid-50s, she was married to Pertwee. So before Dr. So a very was, attractive couple. Let's yeah. just say that. Yeah, I'm going to show you a photo of John Pertwee from the 50s at some point. Did he still have gray hair? He kind of he, he looked a little bit like uh, Burt Lancaster or something. Huh. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so like, and I will say, the Sarah Kingdom character, again, like Proto-Brig, like, you really, 
she is endearing. She is interesting. She's really brave and witty. Um, I'm not really thinking of anything off the top of my head of an example of something <laughs> well, that she's doing. What, but What's funny is we were watching episode five. Yeah. And uh, you were thinking about cosplay. And you went, oh yeah, I, do, I should do a cosplay of Sir Kingdom. But nobody would get it. Yeah. I have no understanding. Like, I really need to stop saying, like, the obscure characters in Doctor Who, because, like, as far as fandom is concerned, there is no obscure well, character. Kingdom, Every character Sarah counts. Kingdom has come back and she's on audio. Yes. And, she's all and so, apparent, I, I am, yes, I was ignorant well, people who have not her. seen Dalek's Master Plan, yeah. which, yeah, people who have not listened to or don't know yeah. Dalek's Master Plan, but kind of know of the story, know it as that's that really long, boring, stupid one that has Nicholas Courtney before he's the Brig and introduces Sarah Kingdom and uh, has Sarah Kingdom in. Like that's yeah. how people kind of think of that. That's episode. fair. Yeah. I oh, get it. Katarina dies. That's yeah, the, and Katarina that's dies. You know. Um, but yeah, I I mean I like her. I like um again the character moments of having this dynamic of Stephen, who's the moral poker, doc the Doctor, who is morally like neutral mm -hmm. for all sakes and purposes and then sarah kingdom who is trying to figure out what the hell she's gotten herself into essentially mm -hmm. um to deal with i mean that's a lot of heavy shit yeah and they deal with it in the context of, of a funny episode so i think i think it's uh smart um writing wise and again tonally yeah. I, um, um... Episode five is the last one, or not, pardon me, mm -hmm. but it is written by Terry Nation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and Terry Nation, Terry Nation was good at writing. I think that he just fell into, I think he kept writing Doctor Who because they would pay him for it. Yeah. Like, you know, he went, he kept going back for the paycheck mm -hmm. um, because he does just kind of write the same script over and over again. Mm -hmm. But this is before that. Like, this is, this is when he was still doing good work. We are going to watch some of the later ones, which are going to remind you a whole lot of some of the early ones, but. That's fair. Um. Yeah, but anyway, so Sarah Kingdom, um, are are we ready to move on to the last episode? Well, we can. Uh, we're, we need to talk about episode ten. Sarah Kingdom's in that one. Um, oh, okay. I kind of. I don't know. Any more thoughts about uh, episode five before we? Uh, I don't remember which one well, is which. What well, the big thing that I uh, kind of got out of episode five was mm -hmm. you, we were watching it on Daily Motion. Mm -hmm. Um. And I had to go like at the end. I went to like get some food or drink mm -hmm. or something like that. And you went, oh, next episode. And you started watching episode six of yeah, Reconstruction. Oh. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about that? Um, so Reconstructions are weird. Um, Some I, of them are better than others. Uh, I, but what I discovered was, because I was really engaged in the plot at that point, um, the, the character dynamic that Sarah Kingdom brought um, and the fact that she killed her brother and that <laughs> I was... I was so excited that, like, that affected how she saw the world. <laughs> you know, I, sorry for overstating that a bit. Um, but so then I, I clicked the next episode because I just assumed we were going to watch it. Um, and I saw it was a reconstruction. I was like, eh. So I, and this was, again, one of those points where I closed my eyes a little bit. And listening to Hartnell, just the vocal track, and I, like, opened my eyes to see the expression on his face, but it's kind of like, 
50% of the pictures of Hartnell, that kind of goofy grin. Well, I mean, he's it's thinking... whatever, whatever footage, yeah, whatever, exactly. whatever, whatever snapshot they had from right. the, you know, the telesnap. So it looks like most of the other snapshots that they have. Um, well, you know, in the reconstruction, some of them are made from stuff that's actually done in this right. episode. And sometimes it's just like, this is just a photo we have of Hartnell. Yeah. You know, like, so... And then there was like a really clearly photoshopped part where like Daleks move Mavic Chen and it was just, oh my God, it was kind of cool. hilarious. But like, I like, do not blame yeah, the like, animators. They do like little CGI animations occasionally and they do yeah, it's, the Daleks anyway, and that kind of stuff. Having so. said all of that. I really um, hope one day the BBC just animates all these so we can yeah. so I can buy it. I would definitely own this. Story. Yeah, that would be um, cool. Um, and I don't. Speaking of Hartnell's voice, though, but yes, that's what I wanted to talk about. Listening is to the audio of it, just I mean, listening to Hartnell speak, I think his exterior is so animated. He, his facial expressions are so animated. He always has like this interesting stance, and I think sometimes that can distract you from the fact of what he's saying and how he's saying it. And you can hear, um, and really this is kind of like more like radio or stage acting. Um, he vocalizes his thought process. Mm -hmm. And so you get a, it, you get a really complicated understanding of who the first doctor is and why he thinks this way and what he's doing and how he's teasing things out and what's funny to him and it shouldn't be funny and what's funny that it, to him that genuinely is funny. And, um, for some reason, just listening to the reconstruction, I, I was just, I had a whole new appreciation for Hartnell. Listening to the audio without, like, because I'd seen the reconstruction mm -hmm. already, but listening to the audiobook version, the kind of, uh, where they took the actual audio from the episode mm -hmm. and then just had linking narration, read by Peter Purvis, actually. Mm -hmm. um, the first time he speaks, you know exactly that carrot is. Yeah. And, and then the Daleks come on. Yeah. And they're like, crazy voice and just hearing that voice i was at work kind of like doing things and i just kind of at my mm -hmm. job i can just listen to you know mm -hmm. headphones sometimes so i put on this episode and i jumped like the first time a dalek comes on and it has mm -hmm. that like oh i don't whoa like mm -hmm. and i knew it was coming and still like you're, you're sitting there listening to it um i think that and i mean this was something that we talked about in terms of how funny it was and that the way the daleks talk is different and has personality but it's also it they're scarier because they have personality and a slight variation um there's still a little bit of the unexpected with these daleks um well and and going back to mavic chen you know that that mm -hmm. people that characters that have motivations yeah are better villains than a monster that's just out to eat you mm -hmm. in a lot of ways well know? and scarier villains because mm -hmm. you understand their motives and like like the quote I read, dude thinks he's immortal. <laughs> like <laughs> to end, some to... at the end, he definitely goes crazy. Well, yeah, he know, loses it. He loses um, it completely. Um, Kevin Stoney, who plays Mavic Chen, mm -hmm. we're gonna see him in another episode, and I'm not gonna tell you which one because we're gonna watch it soon, and I want to see if you recognize. Yeah, you mean without the like caked on pounds of makeup and weird crap going on in his I face? I want to see because he plays uh, Kevin Stoney plays two of the greatest villains in Doctor Who history. Um, and completely separate villains. All right, so let's kind of do some very brief stuff. Episode 10, we are past an hour. We may be getting close to 90 minutes at this point. Woohoo! So, uh, definitely a two-hour episode. Um, enjoy our epic conversation about an epic Doctor Who story. Um, wow, that was uh, clever. 
<laughs> uh, episode 10, The Return of the Monk. What do you think of bringing the monk back? Um, I think I've already said it a little bit, but, like, I love the monk. Yeah, we, we talked a lot about the monk earlier. I, so I think not... he's a great character, and I think in this situation you get to see how smarmy he is. Well, and he's, he's lying to... Like, everybody knows he's lying. Yeah. But because he's just plausible enough, and he's just manipulating everybody enough to make them... And the Doctor yeah. even essentially just says, I guess I'll take... Like, he's saving um, Stephen and Sarah yeah. from the Daleks, and he's like, I guess I'll take the monk, too. Like, the Doctor is kind of saying, I don't want you to kill the monk, so I'll save his life, too. But then he doesn't really give a shit what happens. Like, he's like, let the monk go deal with the Daleks. But I yeah. get him out of the... I mean, he essentially feels like, well, since I'm saving everyone else, you're kind of here. Yeah. And, but I like the monk. I like how he is both very clever and very stupid. And, um, I don't know. He's just, he's a really interesting character. Yeah. Well, I'm, so, I'm, I I don't even know what to say. This this is your this is your last chance in this episode to talk about the monk. So if okay. you have anything else to say about the monk, then I think you should dress up like him. That's it. Okay. Uh, Peter Butterworth, great performance. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'd love to see him back in another future episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the ancient Egyptians. This once again are a litany of man thigh and Doctor Who historicals. God, I don't. I just. And, like, this is not meant to be an offensive in any way. Um, but you really just don't, like, I don't normally think, oh, I think British people look a certain way. But in Doctor Who, like, it definitely is like, oh, those ancient Egyptians sure look like British people with wigs on. Yeah, very much so. And <laughs> whatever, I get it. It's it, they, they do what they can with what they have. Well, um, and the Egyptians kind of are, I, I, I think it's interesting that they, they kind of treat it you know, a little bit more honestly than, um, like, in the time meddler, you know, kind of mm-hmm. the Vikings get to go off and, you know, they, they are a legitimate threat, whereas here the Egyptians really are um, pawns in the chess game that the, kind of, the that all the other more advanced civilizations are playing. Or I don't want to say more advanced in the sense of, like, making a judgment against, you know, historical yeah. characters, but, you know, the Daleks, the Doctor, the Mom. Well, I mean, they uh, do, Mavic there's Shane. an announcement over a megaphone, and they think it's the voice of the gods. Well, but then the leader says, no, this is, this is a, this is a trick by the, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, so, he recognizes it not as the voice of the gods, but as, they, you know, they don't understand, perhaps, the scope of the situation or exactly what's going on, uh, but it, it it is another situation in this episode where I feel like we get to see characters react pretty much how I think that they would react. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say in real life because, you know, TV is not real life, but it's a pretty natural reaction to these things at play and you have their whole dynamic. Like you said, their leader who knows more than them and is, you know, uh, a, a whole other kind of little political situation going on. Also, the Doctor and a Stetson. Also, the Doctor and a Stetson uh, walking around the pyramids. It's the Indiana Jones Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who walks around with his thumbs on his lapels, going hmm. Hmm. <laughs> um, the one thing I really love about Episode Ten mm-hmm. um, is the Doctor negotiating the return of the Terranium yeah. to the Daleks. Like 
personally, and this is kind of my, this is where mm-hmm. my heart lands in Doctor Who, you know, my doctor is a hero, not a clown. Yes. And I like the doctor being funny. I like the doctor being mm-hmm. clever. I like, But I like the doctor. Like, the doctor standing by himself mm-hmm. against Mavic Chen, the leader of all humanity, mm-hmm. and the Daleks, who will kill him on sight. Mm-hmm. And knowing that he has the upper hand just because they won't shoot him as long as he has this thing that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, making demands. and like, I mean, it very um, much feels like, you know, any genre of movie where you have that classic standoff. Oh, yeah. You know? And, um, you, there, yes, this is an epic. Yes, but, like, I mean, this is the nature of epics. At the end, you have all of these forces raining down on your hero. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, to think of the definition of epic, you know, Odysseus at the end has to go beat like a hundred suitors or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, I feel like he has this moment of great achievement and then we get to the, the end. So I, I don't know if you're ready to talk to the end, about the end yet. Well, um, I did. I just wanted to you know, just mention mm-hmm. that just because I love that bit on um, mm-hmm. Douglas Canfield. Uh, episode 10 is the last one that mm-hmm. actually exists. Um, I originally wasn't going to watch episode 12 with you. I was just going to kind of tell you what happened. But then uh, since you liked the reconstruction of six enough to sit through most of it <laughs> before we just started talking and then, you mm-hmm. know, we turned it off. Um, I think it was, I think I, I'm really happy you watched episode 12 and the reconstruction. Um, I, and, and again, I'm going, yes, the reconstruction can be distracting, but. And the audio on the version that we watched was not. Very like good. I literally had to lean into my computer at full volume to hear some things. But, um, reminder, 12 episodes. How many weeks did you say this took? Well, or... this, this would have aired, I mean, just the 12 parts of Dolly's Master Plan mm-hmm. aired over three months. Three know? months of episodes. Plus Mission to the Unknown, which aired, mm-hmm. you know, five weeks before. Or, yeah, five weeks before. So, so this whole epic story had been going mm-hmm. on for four and a half months, essentially. And so we end on the episode, and I, I think it is just as dramatic as it needs to be for the fact that they've been going at it this long. They they get the time, just, just what is it called? The, the time destructor? The time destructor. I don't know why I can't remember that. Um, they try to stop it from going off. Just keep in mind, episode 12 is called The Destruction of Time. Yeah, I know. And, you know. I, <laughs> it's far too simple for my brain. Long story short, it goes off. Um, Steven is inside the TARDIS. Steven, the Doctor, and Sarah mm-hmm. are, have like gotten in, in episode 11, they mm-hmm. essentially come upon the Dalek compound. Mm-hmm. And the Dalek, and it's deserted. Like, right. you know, and the reason it's deserted is because the Daleks are all going off. Like, essentially, Mavic Chen has uh, turned against the other members of the uh, Galactic Council rogues gallery thingy. Mm-hmm. And um, they have all kind of gone off to deal with that situation. Um, they're all kind of going off and they're about to go take over the world. They have the time destructor. They mm-hmm. have won. I mean, mm-hmm. arguably, all the plot in this entire 12-part epic takes mm-hmm. place in episodes 11 and 12. Of like you could get a really good idea of the plot just by mm-hmm. watching these two, um, and so the... so in episode twelve, the Doctor has gotten the time destructor. He mm-hmm. is taking it, um, and then they get sought upon by the Daleks and Mavic Chen. Mm-hmm. Um, the Doctor <laughs> gets, and so we already read how uh, Mavic Chen dies, uh, which is essentially the Daleks have decided to kill him mm-hmm. because they've gotten everything they need from him. Mm-hmm. Um, they're allowing him to think he's still kind of in charge and in doing things. Yeah. Because... Um, at one point, literally Mavic Chen thinks he has the, the TARDIS team 
like on at gunpoint. Yeah. And he does, but the Daleks are literally falling right behind. Like they have their guns pointed at Mavic Chen. Like yeah. they are treating them all identically. They don't really care that Mavic Chen still thinks he's going yeah. to Yeah, and live there's today, there are some know? great still shots which of is, Mavic Chen with like shit eating grin, not knowing that he's walking to his death, which is like so good. Such a like Nazi thing too, you yeah. know, like the Nazis like basically saying, Sure, go out ahead. You know, mm-hmm. we're just gonna we're gonna kill you. We'll kill you in a minute, but yeah. go ahead and feel Oh, like you you're... wanna help us before we kill you? That's yeah. great. Thanks so much. Very, very much classic villain um, sort of idea. So we're done with the villains. So so Mavichin, I mean the Daleks just gun him down. Like he's dead. Yeah. But... Um not not even a lot of like um uh, like a big action scene or a big, it's just he's gone he's dead yeah which i think is perfect again yeah, I, perfect, because then yeah. we have the big action scene with the time destructor the time destructor the doctor has activated it mm-hmm. and then he sends and i this is this is kind of because i, I want to end up i want to talk about the moral culpability of the doctor mm-hmm. and so I, I think it's important to kind of note exactly what happens here. yeah um, the doctor sends Stephen and Sarah away, sends it back to the TARDIS, go, run away, I'll get there when I can. Mm-hmm. He's got the time destructor. The time destructor essentially, I kind of get the impression that it's sort of, the terranium core is this, like, like a radioactive, like uranium, essentially, you know, and it just creates this field or whatever mm-hmm. that you put into the time destructor, and the time destructor creates this field of like time destruction that then goes into some larger weapon and that can be used against you know um the doctor basically decides the way to deal with this is to get rid of the terranium and the way to get rid of the terranium is to let the time destructor run out um so it's basically like saying to simplify the whole storyline if the time destructor is just a really fancy battery right let's use up all the juice in the battery so even if we handed it to them they can't use it exactly he's trying to use up the resource it's a little bit like saying you know the enemy the, the, they have an atom bomb so i'm going to like take the uranium and like if i could use up the uranium's radioactivity mm-hmm. really fast then they you know yeah. which you can't actually do with uranium but that's sort of so the, he's kind of like bomb. f this shit let's do it. let's go so he takes the time destructor mm-hmm. or the yeah the time destructor is operating mm-hmm. it's burning up the terranium mm-hmm. he says go 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 back to the tardis i'll be there when i can Stephen goes back to the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. He and Sarah have an argument about whether they owe it to the Doctor to try to save his life as well. Mm-hmm. Sarah goes back, unbeknownst to Stephen. Stephen kind of ends up at the TARDIS by himself. Sarah um, meets up with the Doctor, tries to, helps to save the Doctor, saves the Doctor's life. And then on the way back to the TARDIS, while he's still carrying the Time Destructor, Sarah dies. She ages to death. The doctor mm-hmm. very nearly does. Um, Stephen manages to find him and turns the time destructor back. Um, the Daleks run across the time destructor. They get de-aged back to some earlier point in their evolution, mm-hmm. which none of this makes any scientific sense. But you know, I'm just telling you what mm-hmm. happens. My question is: A, what do you think about Sarah dying this way? So, first of all, or what do you think of that that sequence of events? The scene that he is describing happens very quickly. Um, even in the reconstruction of it. And so you have Sarah Kingdom as a character. This great character who was... Who is being ordered to do things and just followed her orders blindly and because of that killed her brother for no reason. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So later in the episode, she is ordered to go back into the TARDIS by the Doctor without giving a reason. Um, except for, like, save yourself. And she decides that's not good enough. Um, and then, so what do, like, 
you know, to really oversimplify it, what battery runs out? Well, yeah, the terrenium, whatever we're calling that. But we see her use up every bit of her life to save the doctor, you know, Mm -hmm. talking about talk about burning up a star to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, my immediate reaction was that is so much scarier than the angels. <laughs> you said that while we were watching it, actually. Yeah, and it, because instead of going back in time, you know, you watch her just waste away. Yeah, and, and I mean, what we saw, like the actual photos that exist of it, yeah, horrifying, horrifying. The sounds she's making, I mean, horrifying. The I mean, this is when I, this is the main part when I said it's like not so kid friendly, like. I was shocked. I had my hand over my mouth. I was this character who, like, you really quickly grow to like. And she's strong and badass. And she's doing the right thing for all intents. Like, she saves the doctor. She makes, you know, it's a very tragic death. And she was kind of set up in a lot of the advertising to, like, like, you could have been forgiven for thinking she was going to be the next big companion. Yeah. Um... And I think it was intentional. I think it's meant to hurt when she dies. Oh, yeah. And I think that it's meant to hurt when every character dies in this story. And I mm-hmm. think that that's what's interesting. Um, and I'll read the quote now. I, I, I think, uh, yeah. I th- uh, because the... I, I want to read this before I answer what you said. You asked me. Sure. So the very last lines of the episode. Um, of, of episode 12 of this story. Uh-huh, of of the know, epic. Of the epic. Very last lines. The doctor says, somewhat happily, well, my boy, we finally rid this planet of, of Daleks. Stephen, really clearly upset that the doctor is celebrating a victory, slightly crying. The description I'm reading of this quote came from a website. Anyway, but Stephen's still upset. And he just says, all he says, Brett, Katerina. Sarah. And the doctor just kind of puts his head down and says, what a waste. What a terrible waste. And that's it. And for me, it's like, you know, what does war get us? Death. And even three people dying. There's a, um, again, talking about Phil Sandifer, Mm -hmm. um, who uh, writes the wonderful Tardis Eratatorium blog, um, has a lot of really nice things, interesting things to say about particularly the first Doctor era. I disagree with him. He's a big Moffat apologist these days. He is probably the the primary Moffat apologist in um, kind of more literary talking about Doctor Who circles. Dude, and bro, so go home. We're going to talk a lot about him as we as we kind of move forward. Um, in particular, he wrote a piece about feminism in Doctor Who, with which I disagree vehemently. And um, that's uh, once you've seen. Just, more... Wait, hold on. Does, is this guy like alive and around? Oh yeah, yeah, no, he's. Daniel doesn't tell me some of these things like so. I, I'm, I'm just like, am I going to tell off this guy? <laughs> you might. I mean, he's on Twitter. We could tweet him right now if you want to. Like, um, Super psyched is, about taking you down on feminism. He is... Uh, we're not getting into that right now. Yeah, no, we're not. Um, but uh, very, very knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes the whole John Wiles era of Doctor Who, in particular the Dallas Masterman and Mission of the Unknown, kind of about the Doctor failing. You know, it's about the Doctor mm-hmm. fails kind of over and over again in this mm-hmm. kind of sequence. And, you know, somebody in, in his comments on that article, you know, was like, what do you, I mean, the Dalek saved the, I mean, the Doctor saved the world. Like, okay. he saved the universe, arguably, from, mm-hmm. you know, the Daleks. We're, we're meant to believe that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and Phil says what I think is the most, uh, sums up the Doctor for me very, very well, mm-hmm. which is the Doctor is the kind of character 
who considers it a failure if he saves the universe but loses his three best friends in process. Mm-hmm. And some of the Doctor, I mean, as well as anything I could imagine, like that's the that's the way I think of this. Mm-hmm. And to finish up our podcast episode, this epic podcast episode we're mm-hmm. doing, I can't believe you're still sitting here after, you know, Jessica's going to laugh when she listens to this. You actually lasted more than 45 minutes. Uh, um, sorry, Jessica. Come back again and we'll talk about Hartnell and I'll, I'll be super psyched. Go figure. Um, we'll talk about really good Doctor Who. Yeah. Which, you it's, know, anyway. Um, but yes, so to have the last image... Well, I want to ask you, mm-hmm. what do you think the moral culpability of the Doctor in... Because this is essentially, you know, is the Doctor... Because the whole thing mm-hmm. that we've been talking about in the Moffat era in particular mm-hmm. is that the Doctor is a bad person for letting people follow him. Mm-hmm. And he is a general ordering people around. Mm-hmm. Which I don't I don't get at all. Mm-mm. Particularly you look at this. Three companions. The first three companions who ever die in Doctor Who die in this story. Mm-hmm. And in each case... We are told, we are shown evidence on screen that the Doctor has tried to save them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Doctor in Episode 2 says, essentially, our, our, he sees the Daleks, he knows the Daleks are planning something. He considers it his responsibility to destroy the Daleks, even mm-hmm. if he is going to die in the process. Mm-hmm. But when Katarina is about to die, he tries to save her. He is willing mm-hmm. to let this guy who ends up mm-hmm. killing Katarina into the thing he is willing to sacrifice that he will sacrifice himself but not his companions mm-hmm. and you well, see that and, over and over again and i think each time you kind of have and this is why he's kind of annoying you have you're Steven... actually tearing up right now no i'm not you're uh, blazing over that's it <laughs> he is mistaking allergies for tears um but I, what i think is interesting about this episode um and honestly that this doctor is he's constantly telling people Stay in the TARDIS. Don't do this. And he means it. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on, when the doctor says that crap, he never means it. He Like, when he says, like, don't go off on your own, it's like, haha, you know it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, to talk, compare it to this season, when you have the doctor literally say to Clara after she says, don't go rob any banks. And he's like, don't go rob any banks. And she says, without me. You know, so there's, like, this, like, buddy, like, buddies in crime note to it. This... Hartnell in this story specifically feels much more like this is my mission. I'm not asking these people to come along with me, but they do. Um, And even though I try my best to, I think he tries to give all of the characters opportunities to be the best versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, when you, what is the, what is the best thing you can do? Um, The most heroic thing you can do. Is to sacrifice. Sometimes. For the better good. For the good of many. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be really... I, I think the har- the heart of what I like about the Doctor in general is that I think you are asking yourself, this man inspires people to fight until they die. Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing? And I mean, that might, that might turn into the conversation about, you know... Uh... Are, are the threats that he is facing mm-hmm. worth dying for? Mm-hmm. And going back to the, the thing that we were talking about all through Series 8, mm-hmm. which was about are people choosing to do this or is he mm-hmm. forcing, you know, to what degree is he culpable for their decision? Well, and you know? it's it's the question of the necessary evil. It's the question of the army, mm-hmm. of military, of war. 
And again, I am super on board with Doctor Who um, tackling these questions, but I think I think it requires a certain level of ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And I think contemporary Who, part of my problem with it is it's almost been trying to put a too fine a point on it. But what I like about this is I I don't know how I feel about the Doctor afterward. I feel like he has faults. I feel like he's I mean not human clearly. Um, but, but, but but he has human care. I mean you know he has humanity. He ha- he and, has humanity. Yeah, yeah. And I think we look at then this episode becomes a study in you know what what is humanity. Uh, we have all these shades of gray of evil, all these shades of gray of good. Um, what is the best way to go? And and I th- I think there's just so much portrayed here. That I, I think the episode is specifically set up so that you can't answer that. You can't, like, I can't even feel like I can answer, like, I wish I would like to read it this way. Because I don't, I like the ambiguity of it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, I think that the questions that this story is trying to raise mm-hmm. about the moral culpability of the Doctor and mm-hmm. the um, what it means that people are willing to die for your cause... Mm-hmm. Um, they are big questions, and they are questions that you know we've spent fifty-one years, or you know, since well, this, you know. And I mean, let's we've spent all of a lot of literature, a lot of like. Yeah. There's so much discussion. If you it. look at things like, I really love the fact that mm-hmm. we explore this, and I think if there's a criticism of the modern, yeah, the last few years of Doctor Who, it's that we are pretending to deal with these questions without actually getting to the meat of them. Yeah, and I think that's the. I'm not critical of the fact that the show wants us to talk about them. I'm critical that the show is not is asking the questions without giving any semblance that it cares about the answer. Well, and and th- like to again to kind of strip this episode or this whole epic of it, a base metaphor that I could use for it. it's Americans and and Brits sent people to war in World War One, World War Two, whatever you want to talk about for Britain. It, it you know has similar cultural, historical, emotional impact to to go fight the good fight and mm-hmm. pretty universally believed like, yes, we are on the, on the side of right. But the, the longer you exist in a post-war era, the more you get to say the, the soldiers that are killed aren't the bad guys, you know? We're all pawns in, in a bigger society where, you know, you have people like Mavic Chen and the Daleks who don't care who dies. And what makes the doctor the doctor is he may have to sacrifice people, but he cares who dies. And, well, and I, in '65, yeah. this would have been the height of Vietnam yeah. as well. Or you know, kind of Vietnam was you know we were seeing TV footage of you know Vietnamese burning jungles down. Yeah, and know? I mean that that I um, don't know if I made that explicit enough of a reference earlier, but Daleks with flamethrowers at, at a time where you're seeing Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um having the ending be you know these two bad guys were fighting each other we put our hat in it we stopped it but at a great loss to us you know maybe maybe Mavic Chen and the Daleks would have ended up just killing each other if we just let them let them alone you know there there are all these different situations where you compose really big moral questions and you look at situations like Vietnam like wars Mm -hmm. and say okay the victors write the story of war, but what happens when we look closer at that story? Why Why do well, the victors consider themselves victors? Well, to talk about something like the Iraq War, mm-hmm. you know, we believe that 
you know, the justifications that we were sold that mm -hmm. war on were completely erroneous. Mm -hmm. And the um, war planning was, was mm -hmm. uh, atrocious and, you know, all that sort of thing. And instead of talking about that, we got Danny Pink killed a little boy on accident. Well, and... Not not even talking about that necessarily, yeah. but talking about, like, were we right to go into Iraq? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, to some degree, if we had planned it properly and if we yeah. had sold the war mm -hmm. on, the realistic, on the reality mm -hmm. of it versus this fake version of it. Mm -hmm. And people were making the decision to fight or not fight based on something that was actually real, mm -hmm. we would feel differently about that, you know? And we would way... feel differently about who Sarah Kingdom had to kill. You know, like, and I, I'm, I'm just kind of like, I know we're bouncing back no, no, and no, forth, no, no. but I mean... this is a really reiterative conversation. It, The episode, the story at least, and I know you said I skipped around and only watched the best stuff, but I don't, I don't care if there was more shit in there because this conversation that we're having is still there. And the, that conversation in a TV show in 12 episodes. In 1965, a black and white, low budget show mm -hmm. meant for kids and families. I, was I having just think, a really fundamentally interesting conversation about faith, politics, war, good, evil, science, science, politics, po everything. You know, government. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, uh, there's so much going on in this. Um, I consider the the Daleks Master Plan one of the greatest ever episodes of Doctor. Um, I and I get that. I really I would, do. I would highly recommend that anyone who has listened to this conversation, mm -hmm. who hasn't done so, definitely check out that audio version. Well, and um, I would also say, um, there, you know, what watching classic Who has done for me as somebody who is not like really going to sit down and watch all of classic Who. I'm just not. Let, let's be. We'll do it eventually. Ourselves. We'll just do it piecemeal. Yeah. Uh, You'll watch the Space Pirates one day. Yeah, piecemeal, and I'll skip like half of some episodes. But you know, I, I think it is incredibly important to recognize one of the reasons that the show resonates with people and has resonate resonated and continue to resonate. Continues that, to resonate. Yeah, God. Um, we're in like two hours, so yeah. you know. Anyway, continue. One of the reasons it continues to resonate is because it continues to touch on big ideas. It is most successful when it touches on those big ideas. It is some of the greatest science fiction out there when it touches on those big ideas. And is most successful um, in terms when it gives you something to take with you. When it gives mm -hmm. you something um, worth caring about, you know. And it if makes you was... think. It makes you think. It, it it like I don't want my entertainment to be cotton candy necessarily. There's a place for cotton candy, and yeah. there's certainly episodes of Doctor Who that are effectively just. And there's cotton, cotton candy, candy in some of this. And you know, there's plenty of that, but I think ultimately the stuff that makes me want to mm -hmm. sit and talk about this show for two hours on mm -hmm. Christmas Day is when it really digs in and gives me something. And and this episode legitimately shocked me. It made me laugh. It made me sad. It like there it was it, it it is just very complicated and I think represents a lot of what I love about Doctor Who in general. And I, so for that reason alone, I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um but I also like, you know, again, you say you're cherry picking for me, but I like to see get to see more of Hartnell really in the zone with yeah. his doctor. 
Um, I mean, when Hartnell's good, he's as good as any doctor ever was. Yeah. Hartnell is usually quite good. Like, mm -hmm. there's no, like, issue on that. Mm -hmm. um, some of the writing around him yeah. is quite dull. And some of the, like, we've been, I've been picking some of the best ones just because those are the ones that are worth talking about. Yeah. You know, if we sat down and watched The Keys of Marinus, we could laugh at a lot of it. Mm -hmm. You know, we could laugh at how silly a lot of it is. We could be bored shitless through most of it. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, it's not really, I mean, it's worth talking about because it's worth talking about because it's Doctor Who and it's a part of this history. But, you know, when I say I've been cherry picking, I've been trying to pick ones that are fun to talk about. And I think that's kind of this one. That's fair. Anyway, um, overall thoughts, any final thoughts on Mission to the Unknown? Or uh, Dallas Master Plan. And, um, I think we. I'm actually gonna. I've decided I'm actually gonna post a, uh, a photo of my notes for this episode. And how little we went by them. Well, actually, we covered. I've been going. We went through most of the stuff. Like, awesome. Um, in this, uh, we didn't do it in the right order or in anything. I mean, this was this was just all any the stuff semblance I to talk of about. order. Um, I'm glad we made this extended. Yeah. Um. I, I guess my last note is. I just want to say again, like. I know that canonically it would not make sense and that the Daleks have become something different. I would love a return to this kind of Dalek. That I and, and you know, mm -hmm. arguably, you know, what kind of I mean, I don't think Evolution of the Daleks, the uh Tenth Doctor, uh you know, Daleks in Manhattan, mm -hmm. um, you know, Pigman Dalek thing. That's you know? true. Yeah. I don't think that this that that, that was a very good episode. Um, I think there are things about it I really like. Andrew Garfield's in it. Andrew Garfield's in it. I mean, I I like certain elements of it, but I think that that was an attempt to kind of come back to these ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, I really think, and, and this is not even necessarily against Moffat, Moffat just doesn't like the Daleks. And mm -hmm. so his version of the Daleks are, they're kind of faceless soldiers that, you know. Well, his version of the Daleks are not Daleks. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, let's make the Daleks human. Let's make the Daleks do this. Anyway. Let's make the Daleks have a little forehead thing come out of there. Muffet hate. All right. We're, we are now. We, can, we, we You know, it's. We get to watch the Christmas episode soon. Yay! Aren't you excited? I'm so excited. Yeah. Even though you said it's shit. Well, I don't know. I just uh, read a bit on Twitter, so we'll find out. Time to watch our Doctor Who turducken. All right. Final thoughts? Happy holidays from the Oys Spaceman podcast. So this is like two weeks after the holidays. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Martin Because this will go out, like, right before Martin Luther King Day. Happy almost Valentine's Day is the next holiday. Enjoy the episode. President's Day in the U.S. <laughs> all right. You can find all of our stuff. We are on iTunes. We are on Facebook. Just search for Oi Spaceman in either place. You can find all our episodes at oispaceman.libsyn.com. That's oispaceman.libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. You can uh, email us, and we love getting email, and we'll happily read uh, some on the air if we get good ones at oyspacemanpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, so only, only write us if you're going to write us something good. Well, I'm just saying, if you're going to write like a racist diatribe or something, we're not interested in reading that. Actually, we would probably read it and make fun of it. Um, Shana's like giggling maniacally under her breath right now. <laughs> um, you can find Shana on Twitter and Tumblr at Inkyosa. That's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A. You can find me at Daniel E. Harper. Thank you so much for listening to us. Um, let us know if you want more in-depth two-hour episodes like this one. Um, thank you for listening to the whole thing. And until next week, where we will talk about the War Machines, and that'll be our last discussion of Hartnell for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and we get reintroduced to Ben and Polly, so look forward to that. Ooh. And Dodo! We get to see Dodo! Dodo? You'll see. Until next time, 
Dodo. The balcony is. Every chain's geranium core has finally burnt itself out. <laughs> mm. I wish Sarah could have seen the end. Yes, my boy. So do I. Mm. Hello, Stephen. The one thing that Sarah lived for was to see the total destruction of the Daleks. Well, now it's all over. Without her help, this could never have been achieved. <laughs> what is it? Millions of years of progress. Reversed back. That's all that remains of a Dalek. <laughs> Let's go, Doctor. I've seen enough of this. Planet. Well, my boy, we finally rid this planet of Daleks. Brent! Katarina! Sarah. What a waste. What a terrible waste.